first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Hope you guys all enjoyed your Catholamus, but now that it's over, we look forward to the new year. New Year's, New Horizons, all that good shit. But for now, we're going to have a really nice conversation with Alec Pixie. Alex is the social media and marketing director for 3D Realms, so very important part of that company, and also really great friend. Really enjoyed catching up with Alex, and I hope that you enjoy getting to know Alex's story a little bit better, because it is, I don't know, I just think it's one of those paths that you don't see every day, and in our community, you know, I think that the outsiders of the um the most interesting in terms of how they got here with us. So here's some music from Graven and shortly you will be in the keep with Alec Pixie. My name is Alexandra Danino. I go by Alex or Alec Pixie online. You can find me everywhere online as Alec Pixie. Um, and I am the social media and marketing manager for 3D Realms and Slipgate Ironworks. And uh, how I got there is a long and convoluted journey, but it basically is summed up to me being at Gamescom with some press I was doing at the time and stumbling onto Fred Schreiber brown nosing for a while then meeting him at another event and he has he'd been following me on linkedin goes straight up to me and says hey i heard you were looking for a job i think i have something for you and that's that's how i got there and got sucked into this crazy world that i didn't really know a lot about but i'm happy to be here (laughs) so prior to that like you were already going to gaming conventions and everything what were you doing you know before 3d realms uh, before 3D Realms, I, you know, I, I had, I, I was doing a lot of different things uh, related to gaming because I was, uh, I was working at GameStop, and I was doing some stuff for a TV program in Denmark called Game Test or Game Test Denmark, where we reviewed games, we played the games ourselves, we recorded everything ourselves, we went into the studio and did the speak, did the manuscripts. And then we edited the video ourselves, and it got shown on TV and on fucking YouTube. It's not very popular, but it was it was great learning experience for me. Um, so I've always been interested in video games. And when I was at uni, uh, I was minoring in English, and I did this big paper 
at one point about uh, the pros and cons of video games, <laughs> which is quite a huge topic. And I had to somehow boil it down to like fucking 10 pages. What were the cons? Um, uh, possible childhood obesity, which I then went in and was like, oh no, because look at Wii and Wii Sports and shit like that. And Pokemon Go made people walk around in 2016 way more than usual. Um, it was clear that I had an agenda <laughs> during that paper. I was very pro video games right from when I was a kid. So when I was done with uni, I could just feel that that was the direction I wanted to go. So did the journalism thing, did the game GameStop thing. And then, yeah, Fred Schreiber came along and 3D Realms. We, we had this discussion many times during Realms Deep, but like you were not uh, super aware of like the, the boomer shooter kind of stuff that was going on, right? Like that wasn't- Not at all. So what was your, um, like, what were you into personally? I was more into the, um, what, action rpg open world kind of stuff but i played a fuck ton of platformers as well during the years um when i was receiving games for game test to review you know you have to take whatever the fuck they throw at you but i had kind of like told the guy that would throw those games i told him that i specifically didn't do like racing games strategy games and first person shooter games so, <laughs> so the, me being stuff. here is <laughs> Yeah, uh, me being here is ludicrous. Um, the thing is that I get extremely easily motion sick when playing video games, especially first-person games. So, yeah, just me being a part of 3D Realms seems like crazy, but yeah. <laughs> I want to get like, a, we should do a stream of like Alex, like drunk playing Wolfenstein 3D specifically. Like, because you would get so I'll sick. both be... I would be I would be drunk for the first time, and I would get sick. Oh God, that's yeah. I'm I'm fucking ready. <laughs> that that game had so to explain like why I guess you know how you know um, most first person games have a little sense of acceleration when you start moving to make it feel more natural. When they made Wolfenstein, yeah. it did not exist. Like it was just. You, oh you push the W button and you were immediately going full speed and people were yakking oh. up. It was like, <laughs> just puking all over the place. Oh my God. <laughs> On top of it being like the most Wonderful. controversial game ever made at the time. So, <sighs> so like your day to day, you know, what, what is it you actually, I've seen you in full convention mode, but like, what's the kind of day to day thing that goes on, um, for you? Day to day thing for me specifically yeah. is, uh, waking up and checking Facebook and t checking Twitter, seeing what people are writing about us, seeing what people are writing to us and reacting appropriately to that. Yeah. And then just fucking scheduling things ahead. So I don't have to sit there last minute going like, Oh fuck, we have to. We have to get the screenshot out now. <laughs> and like, uh, and then just attending a ton of meetings that, you know, my presence isn't really required, but it's nice to be there. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you're marketing anything, it's best to keep you, even if you don't understand everything that's going on at the time, like to know the progress and like what, what you know, what can I say on social media? What can't I say? A lot of people take this job, exactly. you know, and... I, I used to think this too until very recently, to be honest with you, that, you know, oh, yeah, everybody has social media. Anybody could do that. Like, you know, you, 
my, I'm sure like I could talk to Mrs. Motherload right now and be like, hey, you want to be the social media manager for In the Keep? And she'd be like, oh, I could do that. And I'm sure she'd be better than me. But like, I didn't realize how intricate of a job that is. Like, the, it's crazy to even think like that's a job now in the 21st century where all you do is just make sure that whatever brand you're representing is like well represented on social media. I don't understand it. I'm confused. <laughs> so <wild. laughs> I think we all are, honestly. Um, yeah, that a lot of stuff happens behind the scenes that regular people never see like it doesn't come to the forefront at all but like even knowing the best time of the day to publish your posts it's like a science in and of itself and yeah what hashtags do you use and what can you post what can you not post it's crazy but it's super interesting also because it gives you like an insight to what is going on on the internet right now compared to like two days ago (laughs) So what are, like, the key times for you? So the thing is that we're very international, mm-hmm. uh, also with our fans, but definitely mostly America. So I always try to, like, aim for Texas-ish because that's uh, about in the middle. <laughs> but the thing is a lot of our fans are, you know, grown people with jobs and stuff. So you have to also take in, into account that they will be, they'll be at work mm-hmm. when you're posting things. And then they'll go home to their family and have to cook dinner. And yeah, it's like, oh, when do they have time? When do people have time to look at social media? And yet they do all the time. So yeah, it's 24 hours, seven days a week, apparently. Yeah, exactly. But, but obviously like, yeah, there are those key moments and I, I mean, I'm a shift worker. I have no idea when normal people walk the earth. Like it's so I'll always do like double posting, which is probably the wrongest thing I could possibly do. Or it's like, uh, okay, North America, I know you guys are awake right now. And then it's like, <laughs> all right, the Europeans are awake. It's, let's go get the European crowd. Exactly. And like, I don't, I don't know if that hurts the algorithm, if the algorithm likes it. The algorithm constantly changes. So mm-hmm. it's like, mm. Yeah, I mean, how do you even keep up with that? Uh, the thing is, we don't. We just, mm-hmm. mostly it's just like, oh, publish and hope for the best. <laughs> So no, but there are like there are tools that you can use that like show like compared to last week when were people most on Twitter and whatever, and then you can go from there. And we're we're slowly looking into using those kind of tools mm-hmm. to give us a bigger idea of it. But um, yeah, you have other things that you like. I've seen that you were working on a like a graphic novel, and obviously you commission artwork and everything. So are are you um, able to? make money off of that at this point or um the visual novel i'm making uh is still in like fucking (laughs) pre-alpha so not making any money off of that yet um i would love to get a team together and really is it you're fully in games if you're calling books (laughs) pre-alpha yeah exactly exactly um it's gonna be like on the computer and stuff so calling it a visual novel is so far the best thing i've been able to label it but i don't fucking know Mm -hmm. um i'm not able to make money off of it yet but i hope i will be someday um and then yeah i also do commission stuff for art and stuff but that's purely on a hobby level yeah so i've seen some of your artwork and it's really cool it's you have your own like style it's what would you call your style if if anything like how would you describe it with words to people um previous anime nerd tries to draw more realistically but is not quite there yet (laughs) 
<laughs> if we can just put hyphens in between all those words, then yeah. that's yeah. No, it's, <laughs> I, I love. I just. I really love art. I'm like the least visually artistic person I know. I don't. Ha- I don't have like that spatial intelligence that it requires. I'm sure it could be you know honed in or whatever, but it's not my number one priority. And I'm also colorblind, so you are. I, yeah, I. I have. Oh, like, I don't um, know. I was I was talking to I think it was Scarecrow the other day about one I can't remember what it was but like you know how people will put like barrels in a game where it's like there's a you know a normal barrel and a red barrel and the red barrel is explosive and the normal brown barrel is not I cannot tell the difference yeah so I'm just oh, a, a walking train wreck of just running into <laughs> explosive barrels <laughs> and. <Shit. laughs> So like yeah, but it, when it comes to you know color intelligence and like you know being able to use a color palette effectively when making artwork, I, that is not a talent that I possess because I can't see the difference. Hmm. Yeah. Well, then that's why um, I I often think about like for example, Among Us is like super popular right now, and when I was playing that at first before they patched it. There was also like them some a, a mini game with some wires you need to connect and shit, and they they were color coded. And I was thinking, what do colorblind people do with that one? Now they put like little symbols on them that you have to match, also. So I don't know. But I think a lot about how game games are becoming more accessible over the years, but there's still a long way to go. And I think it's difficult to incorporate accessibility into first person shooters, but it must be able to be done and. I would really love to look more into that along along the lines down the road, e- even though I'm just a fucking ma- marketing manager. I'm not a game designer or anything, but I think it's interesting how far we've come and how much farther we can go. Like there's some there's a Twitter profile named the Able Gamers, I think, that are specifically doing that, and they're really fucking cool. Uh, I was just thinking like how you said like I'm not a game designer I don't really like have a, a say in that but you are the kind of front facing you see how the fans react to things bef- before anyone else does so you know if people are complaining about a particular thing maybe that is like the colors or like something like that I mean you're you're going to be the first person to interact with them on that level so oh definitely it's, it's definitely totally- I think that was um, for Wrath when it was when one of the um when one of the updates came out for Raph, I think as an as a joke or an Easter egg or something, they had put in. This is before my time with Three D Realms. I haven't even been there month, uh, a year, but uh, before I was there, they put in something where when you chose the difficulty level, mm-hmm. if you chose the easiest level, the game just closed itself down because, like, if you choose the easiest one, you shouldn't be playing this game. And as funny as that can be, it's also like, but some people genuinely do need to play it on the easiest level for whatever reasons and yeah <laughs> you're pointing to yourself i should also point to myself i'm i suck at wrath but i love it um and people on twitter actually like came to us with that and was like hey we know it was just a joke but it's actually not that cool and i was like oh fuck i hadn't even thought about that and yeah so i'm i will be the first person to get told these things and have to relay it to the to the team so how do you relate it to the team when something like that happens like is it really direct or is it like a written thing? I, how do you delicately or do you delicately do it? I, I'm curious. Um, the thing with our teams for all our games is that they're they're pretty cool. You can just like say things completely without a filter. Mm-hmm. Usually I just take a screenshot of, for example, that tweet and I'll put it there and then I'll say like, hey, they've actually got a point. Let's do this and this instead because whatever. 
it's not like we're being mean to each other in there or something, but we can say things like just straight to each other. Yeah. My team is the same way. Like everybody's just super cutthroat, honest to the point where it's like, if if somebody were to observe us talking to each other, they'd think we were like, wow, these guys are like, they hate each other. Like, no, we're just super. Yeah. We're going to kill each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like a good example is like reading, leading up to realms deep when we were editing all the, the video for the podcast, you know, I had like, a team of three people, uh, Vince Steele, Red Eyes Green Dragon, and Hadou Kent, working on that. And the like month of editing that led up to actually getting those videos ready for you guys was just every single day me yelling at Hadou Kent. Like, we're in voice chat. Like, we're, I, I have no actual power over the guy. He's just my friend. <laughs> and I'm just like, fucking get it done. He'd be like, oh, I need to... Like, you know, like he'd have another thought or like go on a different train of thought because he's like super ADHD kind of guy. And I'm just like, no fucking focus on the job. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you know they're real friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like you have to have that, like the, you have to be able to be honest with the team when you're trying to accomplish a mission. Like there's time to explain and there's time to like love each other. But that's like after, to me, from my background, right? That, that comes after the work has been done. <laughs> the message has been conveyed exactly yeah i'm really curious because like you know we're probably going to get on this a lot but just because it's so crazy the position you're in but taking over the social media for a company that's been around since what, nine, the 90s or late 80s early 90s and had had no real you know had a legacy of being very famous but in the pre-social media era and then seeing where the social media was at when you took over in february if i'm not mistaken Correct. Yeah. What was the, like, I have to imagine there was a lot to catch up on. Definitely there was. Um, we had been so lucky that apart from Fred doing a lot of social media, we also have Joe Siegler and mm-hmm. I have to give a huge shout out to him because he is just a treasure trove of knowledge. He's been with the company for, well, almost since the beginning. Yeah. Joe is crazy, but in the best way possible. And I love the guy and um, he's been a huge help for me mm-hmm. uh, throughout this whole crazy thing we've been doing. Um, but apart from that, I, in preparation for my job interview, even I sat down and I really read up on three realms of history, the legacy, all that kind of stuff. Um, because yeah, as you said, there's a huge part, there's a huge history that I kind of needed to know about before I jumped into this. And even now, half the time, I don't fucking know what people are talking about, but I'm just like, yeah, that sounds great. Go you. And then I Google all the time <laughs> i google all the things all the time um so yeah taking it over was you know f- f- kind of also easy because while fred had been maintaining a lot of twitter and also joe had it was sort of also a clean slate um so i got to also implement that for example for a while we were doing some fan art friday and throwback Thursday and stuff like that um there wasn't really anything i had to pick up from someone else i could just start things anew and then people are also just really nice on there that's like i really want to give a shout out to the people on our twitter facebook for being so genuinely nice and welcoming uh, just for example we uh, we recently released a statement about kingpin being uh, delayed because the guys that are working on it are doing it from scratch or something like and I was expecting people to go nuts because people have been asking about Kingpin and when are we going to get Kingpin and are there any updates? And then we come out with that. I was, 
I was kind of expecting it to be like cyberpunk levels of people being angry. Mm-hmm. And yet we posted it and everyone were just like, that's totally understandable. And we'd rather have a game that's great than having something that's bad and rushed. And you guys go, we love you. And it's worth the wait. And I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I was so pleasantly surprised. I mean, you guys, or we said this earlier, but in this interesting position where the your market is people who are mature, right? And like have families and jobs. And Fred goes on about this all the time. But the fact that, you have that fan base means that they're going to be a different uh, maturity level than, you know, your typical cyberpunk fan who's probably, you know, like, I'm going to say like my age or younger, right, for the most part. And yeah, exactly. A little more aggressive, a little less patient and everything. But I mean, Kingpin fans, like truly, people who are really excited about Kingpin have been waiting for like 20 years. So they're going to be fine with it another few months or whatever. It's not going to kill them. Yeah, exactly. And I was completely like when I when I went into this back in February, I had this previous misconception about the kind of people we were going to be catering to. Mm-hmm. Because when you hear first person shooter, mm-hmm. you think about the aggressive kid on Xbox Live <laughs> or you think about the the gun-toting Texan get off my lawn kind of guy. I was a little bit intimidated and people have just proved me wrong and I love that they have. It's yeah. just not the, not just the fans, but also the people that that we're working with day to day. Everybody's just been so welcoming, and they they make a little bit fun of you if you don't know the thing. But then afterwards, they will tell you. <laughs> so it's just it's been great. I feel like every conversation I have with Scarecrow is like him testing me to see if I like. Are you are you for real? Like he he's so <laughs> like intellectually intimidating. <laughs> One hundred percent. Like, oh, and his puns are to die for. I love the guy. <laughs> his IQ has got to be like four hundred or some crazy shit like that. And that, I mean, I, I consider yeah, myself fairly intelligent, but like, he's just this. His he's got a mechanical way of thinking that is just so beyond me. Everything for me is like super fluid, right? Like, going of intuitions and feelings, and I don't think he's troubled about. He's like Data from Star Trek or something. <laughs> 100%. Like, I listened to the uh, to the episode you did with him on the podcast, right. and I was just completely taken aback by the things that were coming out of his mouth. It was, like, great. <laughs> you guys, I mean, you do have, like, a really uniquely cool team, right? Like, just everybody that works there, from the, I mean, unless I don't know them, uh, then in which case I can't speak on their behalf. But, like, everybody's just, like, super cool and mature and awesome in, in some way. Like, it's... Fred has kind of fostered this attitude of giving and caring and like being totally accepting. It's very different than most, you know, AAA game studios where it's an industry, right? Like they kind of treat it like, I mean, yeah, you guys are a business, but they're all pushing for deadlines and like, ah, like super aggressive about everything. And like, everything's got to be super smooth and perfect. And you guys are willing to just, you know, step out there and be honest with your fans and, you know, not hold back. And, you know, you're not afraid to say like, Hey, look, this game's going to be delayed. And this is why a lot of companies are like, Oh no, we can't delay. Like we, I'd rather put out a a shitty product than be late because our fans are going to be like, but your fans are going to be angry if you put out a bad game. Why is that not obvious to you? Um, and then they have yeah, exactly. investors and all, you know, like, oh no, we have to, it, it's this whole political game they have to play. And I don't see a lot of that 
in, in like not just 3D Realms, but New Blood, Night Dive, Running with Scissors, all like right on that precipice of like it. It's not like this huge thing. It's still indie. Like everybody still you know works for a living. We're cool. We're chill. It's a totally different thing. It's really cool. Makes me happy. Yeah, exactly. Like there's so much passion within our teams, and um, I've been I've actually been quoting the Shigeru Miyamoto thing for a while because we've been talking about Kingpin, for example, with the whole um, a rushed game is forever bad, but a, a game you take your time on will be good. I completely can't remember it, but you know, you know what I mean. And I also I I remember <laughs> uh, back in the summer. I was at a cousin's birthday party or something, and um, we had scheduled something to go up on Facebook, and then it didn't go up, which is like my worst nightmare. And I was away from my computer. I only had my phone with me, and I was fully expecting Fred to just lose his shit on me, but instead he just says, tell me what you need me to do, and I will do it right away. And I'm like, what the... You're not scolding me? (laughs) And he was just, like, compassionate and understanding, and... Again, like yeah, that's that's something you probably don't see within the big industry. And um, before I got with three realms, when I was still looking for jobs, I fully also wanted to be like with Blizzard or Nintendo. My mom worked for Nintendo when I was a kid. So, but now I've really come to appreciate that uh, there's there's not so much red tape and there's not so many restrictions, and people are helping each other in a completely different way with these indie games and indie studios. That's Probably not there for Nintendo. Let's be real. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, every even the big companies have smaller teams, and I'm sure there's a lot of like love and compassion in every. You know, they're, they're human beings. It's just that you know when you can see the top, right? Like I can see where 3D Realm starts, all the way down to the bottom, and it's not like this crazily huge group of people, right? Like I, I think in. Yeah. People study like a you know human development and how you you know you live in a, we developed in like small communities and you can only handle so many different faces you can only remember so many different people and like who they are what they want what their drive is so if that number is manageable it's way easier for people to just be cool and chill and like honest compassionate your boss knows who you are right yeah exactly if you work for I don't know Nintendo. Uh, and you're working on I don't know like the a switch development team uh, for some game or oftentimes just like a game that is just being developed and, and for the intention to be sold to Nintendo right then your boss has no fucking idea who you are they don't like not to say they don't care but they don't have a personal connection with you so I mean yeah and once they don't know who you are then it's easier to scold you because like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you're scolding a friend it's just like some random person without a face yeah. This is like what are we like thirty minutes in? So let's talk about. You mentioned your mom worked at Nintendo. How did that like inform you? Into like, did that was that a huge inspiration for you just getting into games in the first place, or how did that come about? Oh yeah, definitely. Like I know it's kind of I know it's kind of a, a joke within like the video game fans that like oh i know this because my dad works at nintendo but no my mom actually did work at nintendo or probably she worked at Bergsala, which is the distributor of nintendo in in the nordic countries mm-hmm. and she was the uh, i don't know the title in itself but she was the main seller of games in the nordic countries um and that was in the 90s she was apparently at a convention in washington 
where they revealed some Pokemon stuff and she grabbed a couple of Pokemon dolls for me. Um, I was like a toddler at the time. And my dad always says that I was playing Super Mario 64. Before I could pronounce Super Mario, I would always say Super Mario. (laughs) Um, And yeah, we, I, I grew up on Nintendo. I grew up on Nintendo swag. I had a Nintendo Game Boy pocket with me to school as like the only kid and just loved Mario. I would, they would show the the Mario cartoon on morning cartoons, and I would run to the kitchen to grab our plunger because then I would put the plunger on the on the television screen whenever Bowser showed up because I knew I didn't like him. Um, a lot of these things I can't ask my mom because my mom passed away when I was fifteen, um, nice. and that also, thank you, um, and also that has of course given me some perspective like I chose to go to the same high school as her like a year after she had passed away and I really like started thinking a lot about like what path am I going to choose in life and I always loved video games so it also feels a little bit like I'm honoring her by working with video games it was also one of the reasons why I wanted to work for Nintendo for a while um so yeah just grew up on video games and grew up with a family that loves video games even if my dad doesn't quite always understand the inner workings of a video game. He feels that everything is Super Mario. He's like, he runs, he picks up coins, he is Mario. (laughs) (laughs) But my dad's also been extremely supportive. My dad's supportive of everything I do. But for this, like, he's really going above and beyond. And he's like, he read the PC Gamer article that was recently there about Graven. And he's like, I understand half of these words, but it's so great that you guys are in it. And I'm so proud of you. I'm like, oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Like, uh, growing up, like, my dad and I were kind of like, eh, but we butted heads. Like, when I was really little, we used to play Duke Nukem together. And yeah, oh. I always, like, especially when I started getting into this stuff, like, I never expected my dad to give a shit about any of this crap. But uh, when I went home most recently, he was like, Oh, dude, when's the next podcast? Like, he listens to every single podcast, and he has no idea. What oh, anti Stan. <laughs> but it, no, it's really cool. Like, uh, you, you know, you get older, and you, you your relationship with your parents change and everything. And, that, I mean, it meant a lot to me. I'm not going to start crying on the show, but, like, it did mean a lot to me to know that, like, you know, my dad was supportive of, of what we're doing here. But when I did that interview with John St. John, like, who was the first person I called? I was like, Dad, guess who I just talked to? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, Duke Nukem, the Duke Nukem. Like, that really just happened to me. <laughs> that was awesome. Aw. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, That's really cool. Yeah. I, I, go ahead. This is your show, not mine. It's all I, I tried to – no, no, no. I tried explaining to my dad when we were doing Realms Deep uh, because he was getting, like, weekly updates. I meet with him once a week and have dinner. Mm-hmm. And I tried to explain to him that, oh, now we got this guy on the show. And now we're getting this guy on the show. And – when I said John St. John, my dad, he has no frame of reference for that. So I was like, it's the George Clooney of video games. And my dad was like, George Clooney is coming on. I'm like, no, but almost. <laughs> he was like so stoked about it. So I was like, yeah. yeah, it's great when, when the dads are supportive. <laughs> but did you like, uh, did you catch that John was a radio DJ in my hometown when we were like very little? Like he, so he, no, he, really? Yeah, yeah. So he he was a radio DJ. There was a show called The Rude Dudes, and it was on like the local pop station that was like WABB or ninety seven five WABB. I want to say, but yeah, 
And so even for my, my family that didn't understand him about video games, they all knew his voice because he was on that show every day. Uh, for oh, years. that's awesome. Yeah, really wild. Like totally just the universe came together for that. <laughs> uh, and so like you guys have so many projects going on all the time. How do you personally keep up with what? Uh, I, I, I don't. <laughs> How do, who who um, tells you like uh, hey, you can you can talk about this but you can't talk about that <laughs> like don't. Uh, the thing is, people barely tell me anything sometimes. <laughs> have, have you fucked like, up before? Um, like, have you ever like accidentally said something you weren't supposed to say? Or? Haven't managed to do it yet. Come quote come close to a couple of times. Um, okay. The main way for me to keep track of what we're doing is by looking at what Discord servers I'm in because there's a Discord server for every project. <laughs> And yeah, then just trying to read the uh, the most important, like the ones that are tagged at everyone in Discord, like to see where are we now, and then just attending meetings. We have like biweekly meetings with our PR company, and they'll always ask, "So how's it going on whatever game?" And Fred will be like, "Oh, it's going like this, or this, or this," and that's often where I also learn how things are going. <laughs> but um, yeah, just lurking in those servers and trying to pick up as much as I can. And it's also definitely been a learning experience for me, like mm -hmm. just seeing the inner workings of it and seeing that, oh, people also have to do this and that. And there's a program called Jira where people are scheduling in and stuff like that. It's like half of this, I would never even have dreamt of, but I'm trying to keep up with it anyway. <laughs> no, I really relate to you in that you know, I didn't, I mean, I played some of these games when I was a little kid. Like, I played Duke Nukem on, like, the PlayStation. But I did not get into PC gaming or, like, this entire genre until maybe, like, uh, four years ago? Something like that? So I'm, I, I have the benefit of, like, I do this podcast, so I, all I do, you know, day in and day out is talk to people about this stuff. But, I mean, if you were to go back and listen to, like, episode one, two, three of In the Keep versus now, you know, almost two years later... My learning curve was insane. I had no idea what the fuck I was talking about. All I knew when I first started this was like, I really fucking like Quake and I really want to talk about Quake. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that evolved so much since then. Well, also, fucking fake it till you make it. If you don't know what you're talking about, just pretend you know. And hopefully <laughs> some some point you'll pick it up by somebody yeah. else. <laughs> I, I struggle with that. Like I, I'm pretty good at faking it till I make it, but I really, I don't know, I value... For me personally, being honest when I don't know what I'm talking about because it, I don't know, it, you could get exposed, like, and it looks really bad. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody says, yeah. like, hey, do you know this game from like 1996? I was like, no, I was one years old when that came out. So, like, give me a fucking break. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you remember, like, that's also the thing that e E3 uh, M12 from blah, 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 blah. So, like, no, I don't fucking know that. Like, I give me a break. There was a. Yeah. There have been so many uh, times when I was going to interview someone that I never thought would actually say yes, and then I, I was like, oh shit, I haven't even played their game. So then I have to like go play through it really quickly and try to get up to speed. <laughs> You'd think we'd be done with homework at this age, but nope, still coming. <laughs> yeah. We're going. Also, that's the thing, thing that we, you and I, we kind of have a handicap because we are this young. I think I think you're also around 25 like me. I am 25. Um, 
All right, we're the same age then. And a lot of these people that are around us and have been in this the, the scene, they've been since before we were born. So we have to catch up with them somehow. And of course, we can also use that a little bit as an excuse if we don't know something. But also, whew, that's a lot, a lot of years. They need us just as much as we need them. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Otherwise, they'll just wither away like the old people they are. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is like... um. We did not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We are cultivating it for our children, right? So, like, something along those lines. I'm not sure if I said it exactly correctly, but... No, but it sounds good. They, sounds good. Uh, we should put that on a t-shirt. We should, but they need us. Like, I, I don't mean to, like, say it like, oh, I'm fucking some big hot shit, but they need that fresh pair of eyes, and they need someone who understands um, how to handle the younger crowd. Like I, I did a lot of explaining to that to Fred, like, you know, cause there, there's this predisposition, like oh, all three year olds fans are like old boomer dudes. Not true. I ha- personally have like a direct connection to a bunch of young people who were super into this genre because of how frustrated they are with the current state of like the modern AAA industry. Like they, they prefer like the stylized graphics and the, you know, simple gameplay to these games that are so complex that they either, you know, I'm not going to say they can't understand them because they can understand pretty much anything from what I can tell. But like they, you know, the game is so complex it breaks. You know, the the more complicated anything any machine is, the more predisposed it is to breaking down. And the more moving parts there are, the more different things can break down. So when you play something like Doom, you know, nowadays, yeah, the graphics aren't exactly flashy or anything, but it's very dependable and beautifully crafted, and has a lot of soul that you just can't really recreate in in most large scale projects. There are exceptions. Like there yeah, are completely I agree. Games, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's a lot of a lot of people our age and younger for that matter are really being drawn to the more indie titles where it's as you say, it's got more soul. It's handcrafted. And, yeah. You know? It's like a, a knife that someone made yeah, exactly. from steel in their backyard. Like it just feels real. Feels like a you know there's blood, sweat, and tears yeah. in this thing. Yeah, and also um, I remember when procedurally generated maps and whatever they were like a big thing for a while. But I think people are starting to feel more and more that because things are procedurally generated, like nobody's actually sat down and really crafted it, like handcrafted, like you said. Uh, people are starting to prefer the handcrafted ones mm-hmm. more now. Recently, I think that's like across the world like the more corporatized the the planet has become you know you go, you can go buy a, a nice knife on amazon but like to use my analogy but if you want like a really good one that you know if you know the guy who made it right it means more to you like if you're it, i don't know if you're uh you get two computers one that you bought at walmart or whatever and then you got another one that was like your buddy sat down and like hey man i'm gonna build you the best fucking computer and we're gonna do it together like which one means more to you yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you guys have that personal connection with your audience. Like, you know, I know who Chris Holden is, right? So when he makes something, I care about it because I know him. Like, and I know he's super yeah. talented and fantastic at his job and everything. But when I know that, like, Fred put his blood, sweat, and tears into a project, that means more to me than just, like, oh, some nameless person at some company somewhere was a small part of some big moving project that. I don't know. Human psychology is bizarre. <laughs> totally, totally, but also extremely interesting. <laughs> uh, 
so do you uh do you see yourself moving into any other parts of it as an artist or anything like that have you ever delved into art, art oh, i would love to I would love to. Um, Art for games, I don't think I'm quite there yet. I'm doing my own visual novel, but that's because I'm the one doing all of the things. (laughs) Um, But I would love to write stories for it. I wanted to be a writer for the longest time and write books. And I have a lot of ideas that I need to actually sit down one day and put on paper. But, you know, um, but crafting stories have always been my main focus and if someone needs a story for a video game, I'm your, I'm your guy. What is that? <laughs> but, um, uh, I don't know. I, I read a ton of books as a kid. I was always with my nose in the book. I have multiple pictures of me at new year's parties with people like dancing and there's beer on the tables. And I'm literally sitting in the corner with a book. There's a picture of me on Facebook. That's great mm-hmm. because it's just such a, it's such a contrast. So yeah, just telling stories has always been a big thing of mine. And I would love to try and incorporate that into my other passion, which is video games. But yeah, yeah, let's see what happens. I'm still, I mean, I've only been inside the industry for not even a year yet. So let's, let's circle back to this in 10 years and see where we're at. Yeah. To, to bring to your point, like I, I I have a similar kind of issue where I have all of these things that I am pretty good at. Like I'm, pretty good at talking to people i'm pretty good at uh, you mentioned earlier that you, you you said you minored in uni in um in english yeah correct so th- did that make you a better writer you think uh i wouldn't say so honestly i mean it made me a better writer in regards to i call it writing on a budget because it's where you you have a character count you know that you can't exceed so you have to make your point come across within that specific frame. And sure, that helps me when I'm writing for or Facebook posts or Twitter posts for 3D realms, but we didn't exactly do creative writing or anything. However, I did, while I minored in English, I majored in something called the science of religion. I'm not particularly religious myself, but I've always found religions to be extremely interesting, especially because of their stories, mythologies and such. And I ended up writing a... Oh, Ooh, you're reading Halamal. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I uh, my final bachelor's paper was on Loki from myth to mass media and how he has changed from a uh, trickster god to this kind of bleeding anti-hero that we see him as today, what with the Marvel movies and all. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I just really enjoyed getting to read mythologies, read all these stories and... I think that made me a better writer because I realized, oh, you can do it like this, and there's this that I can incorporate and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, yeah. And I can't use my my major for anything now because you can become a high school teacher. And we were so many in my class that there aren't enough high schools for all of us to get a job. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> no, it's like uh, crazy that you bring that like the the mythology thing and that's something that i get like way in the weeds with um in terms of just thinking about all the time because I, i'm also not like a super religious you know deistic sort of person but i am deeply fascinated with the way that people told stories to remember 
things or ideas over time, and I think the vast majority of what you know what we call religion now is indeed that someone thought this was so important that it should be written down for future generations to know about or told orally even before then, and that they are the archetypes for basically all human storytelling. So, you know, the, the story of you know your your ideas of Loki, right? Like just how he first came into the the zeitgeist of whatever you know like probably prehistoric germanic europe was a probably completely different idea and is a completely different idea of what we have now of loki like that's so true and how does that like does the character adapt to society you know like the 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 way they need that character to come across for that particular time it's very different. I know a lot of Native American cultures like will not write down their history because they they say like if I write it down, people will always reinterpret that particular writing. But if I only speak it orally, I can change it and I can tell that to someone else. And then whenever they, it's time for them to tell that story, they can change it to match whatever needs to be said at the time. Yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah, and. Loki. Now that you're, now that we're talking about him, he never really had a cult for himself, like followers of him until recently, until the recent years. And now I go on Etsy and I search up Loki, and there are people that are making like fucking little prayer statues that they will incorporate into their little witch things to get Loki as their deity. I'm like, wow, we He's really been reshaped, and I think a lot of stories and myths are being reshaped to fit into what we need them to be yeah it's really weird like I, you bring that up specifically loki uh if you played this game rune rune 2 just recently came out but there is a cult of loki in the game and it's like set in midi like medieval europe and i'm just like this is weird that's not historically accurate it's cool like I, it makes for a good uh <laughs> antagonist and everything but like that's that's just like not how that worked but okay i'm digging it let's play yeah it. Let's and play like if, if it's a good story then why not use it <laughs> mm -hmm. how does that inform your writing so like you're writing this uh novel that's in pre-alpha so we were not you, know, you don't have to tell too much about yeah. it but like what's the story about and what are like the archetypes that play into it if you don't mind saying oh sure um so the story is about this um, this kid named Rowan. She's uh, around 14 years old. She's living in New York and she's being terribly bullied and is very much just on her own a lot of the time. Both her parents are working a lot and um, she's bored out of her mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then uh, she gets hit by a car and instead of dying or going to the hospital or whatever, she's kind of brought into this alternate reality dimension thing and told that oh if you want to we can give you some powers and you can uh, you can live another life you can live a new life in different dimensions and she's like well okay sure and these powers uh the powers of auron people i call them a-u-r-a-n it's kind of a three-step program <laughs> because you have to imagine the thing and then believe it, and then it'll happen. So, for example, if I'm imagining I'm holding an apple in my hand, it's not enough to just imagine. I have to believe I'm holding the apple, and then poof, suddenly there's an apple. And that also influences your uh, your self-image a lot. So, of course, when Rowan is giving these given these powers, she's feeling like shit. She's 
being bullied. She has no one who cares about her. Um, so she doesn't look very happy. Like it, it reflects on her outside. And then she's she gets some friends and she learns how to um, how to believe in herself more. Uh, and she starts also looking the part. And then, of course, she accidentally makes a deal with someone could like practically the devil, and she's like, "Oh shit, what do I do now?" And she has to like defeat him, and it goes all wow, young adult novel battling it out. And that character, uh, his name is Lathan, uh, he in the Big Bad. Um, when I first started writing this, he was just like bad to the to the bone. And since I've started looking into mythologies and I've started really like reading up on the archetypes and stuff like that, I started to give him more, more depth. And there's a reason why he's like this. And yeah. like, I feel like you see that also a lot in mythologies. Like, yeah, you have the ones that are just really bad and can never be redeemed, but you also have uh, anti-heroes and people that have reasons for the way they are. Right. So that's definitely something that I've refined ever since I really started looking into that. Yeah, it's so. something that it's it like the way that storytelling has changed over time, as we talked about a little bit. But so there was a period of time, right, like long ago, when all characters, you know, or even you know the gods or whatever, had human flaws like they were not perfect you know the, the way that we see like the, you know the christian god is supposed to be like an all knowing all perfect being uh thor is an arrogant prick and everybody knows that <laughs> so uh, even though like he's admirable in many ways he's strong he's you know brave courageous he's also extremely arrogant and then the other gods have to deal with him you know or um go back to any of the the hellenistic stuff you know hercules is not a perfect person he's He's got a lot of admirable exactly. traits, but he has flaws too. And then, and I think that makes for more story, yeah. honestly. As we we get into you know the the industrial age, novels, stories, and novels, and you know media in general started to change. And you have these very, uh, I'd say they're they're like Christian influenced, but like you know Lord of the Rings, uh, the C.S. Lewis like Chronicles of Narnia stuff. You have very clear, distinct. This is good. This is bad. And there's no in between, you know. Like all we know about Mordor and all of the stuff going on there is like those people are bad. The orcs are bad. There's nothing good about them. They have no redeeming qualities. Uh, and then, slow, like just recently, we've started to really kind of see that, you know, as you mentioned, like anti-hero things start to pop up again. Where like you have these nuanced uh, characters. Like your good guy in, in your novel, right? Is she? She's obviously the hero, but she's made a deal with the devil, so she's not perfect. She has flaws. And even exactly. and then you go to your bad guy, like, well, he's bad, but he has a reason why he's bad. He's not like just innately evil, right? Yeah, exactly. And like in his eyes, he is the hero. So mm -hmm. I have to also keep in mind that whatever his motives are, they have to be something that in someone else's eyes could be good things. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's a more compelling story, honestly. Um, and I hope we can also incorporate that into our games. For example, um, for example, Graven that we're working on right now. Um, it's you know we're we're told already in the in the uh, segment shown as Realm Steve that it's like a pious 
pious man and a good priest and he's like taken in his daughter and even he gives into rage and like kills one of those other priests mm-hmm. so even if he's supposed to be like oh perfectly good and yeah he still has bad sides to him it's like um in the demo there's even a part where he you know when he first picks up the the magic scroll and starts using magic it's like a, a moral problem for him he's like i never thought who am i becoming i would i never thought i would yeah do this. exactly yeah. Have you you know um do you know who Eric Weinstein is? Uh the name does ring a bell, but uh clear it up for me just to make sure. <laughs> so he's a mathematician, and he's also kind of a public figure like anybody, he's got his flaws, but he he runs this podcast that I, I sometimes listen to called The Portal and it's kind of based on this idea that, you know, children's uh books or not just children's books, but you know, young adult all the way through they all have this. Oh, hey, there's my wife. You want to say hey to Alex? No. Just woke up. Oh, she's hungover. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she feels better soon. So all all of these stories kind of center around this idea of going you know, children. As a rule, we all feel a little bit lost. Like we don't know what our direction is, or like maybe you grew up in a bad situation that you just want to escape. And so they all center around this idea of escaping. So like uh, the Phantom Toll Booth is a great example. Harry Potter is a great example. Uh, great Expectations. It, I could go on forever, but they all center Star Wars. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> I'll slow down here. But they all center around this idea, like somebody who like doesn't understand the world and they're like very confused or in a bad situation, and they just want to like go through a portal and escape from that. I think I talked with American McGee about this because he grew up in like the worst possible like childhood situation, and he said that he would literally imagine himself like stepping through a portal into like another thing. So then you know the kid goes through that portal or the character goes through that, and then they're in this fantasy world. Like you step through the the wardrobe into Narnia, right? And now it's like this great adventure and you can be, you can find your true self through that. And that archetype is so prevalent in everything. And we don't even like really think about it because you, you kind of write it off as, yeah, your typical like adult novel thing. But yeah, that is exactly what it is. Young adults all think that same thing. They all go through that same human process. And I say all that to say, do you, do you think that Rowan is a little bit you? Oh, Rowan is me in a lot of ways. Um, I, as a kid, I also went through quite some times, let's call it that, um, and actually developed something called maladaptive daydreaming, which I have under control now. But it's basically that when you are in such an environment, you just start daydreaming yourself away in order to cope. Nice. And Rowan is me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's why I was smiling when you were talking about that. And Rowan is in many ways me. I mean, all of my characters are me in a way. I don't think you can write and not have a little bit of you in any of your characters. But yeah, I think I think definitely Rowan is informed by also what I did at that time in order to cope. And I'm not going to spoil the ending of the story, but um, definitely something that has also been influenced by by me (laughs) yeah Yeah. even drugs are a portal like you know kids get into you know smoking pot or whatever 
when oh they're, <laughs> I mean, that's every, every kid, right? Like every kid you're like 14 and you're, I hate my parents. I just want to escape. And that's the one way that people do. And I'm not endorsing that, but every, every kid has that same thing. They're like, I just want to like live in a different world. Mm-hmm. I want to like control the yeah, universe man. or like live in something that's bigger than what I can currently see. <sighs> man, I didn't mean to get so. Yeah. Escapism is. I don't know, but escapism is definitely a big thing for teenagers and mm-hmm. probably also younger kids. Yeah, and in a way, I think it's a little bit a shame that we kind of grow out of that as we get older because a lot of our creativity is just stifled because we don't allow ourselves that escapism after a while. Because oh, now we have to be super serious adults. We have to go to work. We have to make money and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah. like a. Uh, schools changed after the industrial revolution. I think I've said that twice today, uh, but they, you know, like, uh, you know, schools are in America, at least we used to just go to like a schoolhouse and it was just like, a, there was a teacher there and they're just going to teach you until you're educated. And then over time, uh, factories became like a huge part of society. And so schools now, at least in, you know, I'm just talking for the United States. I don't know what they're like there. I hear they're great there, but they function like a factory does where it's like, you hear a bell ring, you get up, you walk, you, you know, you go to your next thing, you do your task and then you do it for eight hours and then you leave and then you do your homework and then you show up the next day. And it's like, it does not really, there are classes that do, but like overall it doesn't inspire creativity and inspires obedience and it's training you to work in the industrialized society and it's a shame because like you said we're not fostering a lot of creativity in people and so there's this stigma that you know once you get to a certain age you know you're 18 now it's time to stop daydreaming time to stop living in the clouds and live in the real world and yeah it just that's just not conducive to art no exactly like how many hours could you sit for as a kid and just draw? Just draw whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be anything productive. It didn't have to come out as anything specifically. But you would just sit there and just let your imagination run wild. How? When was the last time you sat down as an adult and just sat down and drew? Like, yeah. just for fun. Or making, I don't know, fucking beats or... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. What do creative kids do nowadays? <laughs> but, yeah, or a plate, like... Yeah, true. <laughs> but no, like, or play, like, play house or play whatever. You, that is part of it. And people don't get to do that anymore. Then, of course, you can go and play Dungeons and Dragons now. and But still, like, not in the same way. Even D&D, like, I, I used to be really into it. And I, I got with this group and I thought it was going to be good. And then it just becomes this, like, breaking out the rule book every 10 minutes to argue about like, I'm like why do we yeah. care about I'm, I'm trying to have fun i'm trying to like play and be creative yeah. and be a kid and you're just you're telling me what what the adults want us to do now i don't care about that exactly exactly <laughs> so you, you play D pretty regularly though right i do i have a group that i meet with about once a week and we play um and Honestly, I don't really know them that well outside of D&D, but I I moved to the town I'm currently in, which is, uh, yeah, it's away from uh, from my dad, but it's closer to the rest of my family. And I moved about uh, a year and a half ago because my, my grandparents are getting old and the kids are getting older, like my cousins and stuff. And I was going like, oh, fuck. 
I'm missing out. But the thing is, I don't know anybody in this town except for my family. And I was going a little bit star crazy. So I just found a D&D group just to see other people. <laughs> no, that's good. It's a good way to do it because yeah. you're connecting through something, you know, as a basis, you're all connecting on the basis of like, a, we just want to have fun and imagine and not, you know, like if you, you can meet people through work, but there's always going to be like that, that work element to it. I, in my exactly situation right now, like I, I barely really get to interact with people that I don't work with. Like I'm just kind of always there. And so that's why I think that's a large portion of why I got into, you know, discord and uh, video games in general at this point in my life, because I just needed to like be not in that mindset. So like I come home and I'll, as soon as I walk through that door over there, like now I'm in this space. And it's mine. And I have this portal, yeah. which is my computer, to people like you. Exactly. Yeah. And also, about the thing with, like, that you don't interact with other people. Like, I stopped working at GameStop, and I thought I had, like, some pretty great friends with the people I was working with. But after I stopped working there, I barely interact with them. So I really came to realize how how fragile those relationships can be. Like, once you're done at that place, you may never talk to them again. Mm-hmm. So... You really just need to have people outside of that, like that can't go away as easily, can't escape you that easily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is probably the worst thing about me is that I never like prepare anything. It's always just flow of, of the conversation. But uh, as you as you continue, it's worked like, out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. I can always edit out the weird pauses and shit. And, like I. That's the best thing about podcasting is like if somebody if I fuck up in any way I could just like pretend it never happened. (laughs) You know, you're you're in this crazy situation now where you're like at the helm of such an amazing group of people, such a cool company, and promoting all of these really interesting projects. But does that? Does that have an end goal for you? Like, do you see where this is going in terms of just like your personal direction, or is it just another stop on the on the train? I don't know at the moment. Um, That's beautiful. When I joined this, when I joined Three Realms at the beginning, before I got sucked into this and started loving the people there, I was saying that, oh yeah, I know it's first person shooters. I know I don't really know a lot about the genre, but it's it's a step up the ladder and then it'll propel me forwards. That's That was my mindset for a long time. But then I started seeing the passion these people have and the passion of the fans and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I'll be able to find that if I if I step up that ladder and like go to something more corporate, mm-hmm. like better words. So I'd love to stay, of course, if they'll have me. Yeah. And if I take on more responsibilities, that's great. Uh, if I stay like this, that's also fine. So let's see. I'm I'm really excited to see where you go on this journey. I I think I. It must be said, you know, before we go anywhere, that like, I I spend a lot of time on this show talking to designers, level developer, you know, all your typical things that you think about in the in the video game industry, and I really want to make it a goal to not just focus on that like i want the full spectrum of like what does it take to make a game and without people like you uh people like starlight i guess people like me if you really think about it but 
not to say that I play any kind of important role, but without that part of it, nobody would even know this shit existed. You know, it wouldn't be shared. Exactly. Like we are all bricks in in this house that is video games. And if if some of us are missing, it's not going to be stable. And I I remember I often think about like when I'm when I'm waking up and I'm like, oh, I have to check Twitter, oh, I have to reply to these people. I think back to a quote um, that I won't be able to quote verbatim, but it's it's from the book. Uh, I can't even fucking remember the name of the book, but it's uh, Motley Crue made a biography of themselves, the and dirt. I read that back. Come again? The dirt. The dirt, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I used to be super into Motley Crue as a teenager, so I uh, I read the book. You too? Oh, cool. Um, Motley Crue's my and- favorite band. Like, of all time. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, I read this... Uh, there's this part where they're on tour, I think, with Ozzy Osbourne. And Ozzy is, like, on drugs, out of his mind. And he's, he's like, I don't want to go over and sign autographs for these fans. I just want to keep partying or whatever. And his wife tells him, no, you have to go over there and interact with these people. Because without these people, you are nothing. Without these people, you wouldn't be here. And I think about that a lot when I'm like, oh, I don't want to fucking go on Twitter and read the comments. And I'm like, if I don't do this, we we wouldn't be here without these people. Like, we all have a part to play. Yeah, like, that is that's a really great metaphor. Like, I was thinking of the part where Ozzy's, like, snorting ants out of his own pee. On the- <laughs> I was sitting there about that right now. <laughs> Did you see the so there was a crazy? Movie oh my god! Made out of that book, um, maybe a year or so ago. I haven't. Yeah, but I've never gotten around to reading it. Uh, what? It's okay. It's like not the best movie in the world, but it's like it was really strange because like the people who were playing, like so, uh, what's his name? Mick, the guitar player. I don't know why his name's not Mick Mars. Uh, Mick Mars. Tommy is the uh, drummer. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, Tommy Lee is played by Machine Gun Kelly, the rapper. And then... What? Yeah, and Mars is played by the guy who plays Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones. And so, like, I it was just so hard for me to, like, unsee what I'm seeing. Like, honestly, t- no, there's no better person to play Tommy Lee than some, like, rapper. But, yeah, it was very strange. Oh very, very strange. No, I was, I was a huge fan of Nikki Six. Uh, I actually listened to his. Um, he has a side thing called Six AM. Yeah. That he made. Yeah, I listened to it the other day. Um, but I used to listen to it all the time as a teenager, and as I read the Hero and Diaries, because I started getting into that scene more and more. I was uh, I was working in a drum store. I wanted to be a roadie. I wanted to go to America and be on Warp Tour as a roadie. I wanted to. Well, I was. It all stems from me being super into Avenged Sevenfold. Uh, so from there, it just kind of spiraled. And yeah, crazy world also. <laughs> now, Avenged Sevenfold was such a like. So there were no like great giant rock bands for a little bit. Like you know, the, after the the like kind of Corn and Limp Biscuit era, which was like you know it is what it was is. You know, we were kind of left with the the remnants of the 80s and 90s. So, like, Metallica was, like, the biggest metal band in the world. And Avenged Sevenfold was one of the only, like, new bands that were, like, 
able to fill an arena, you know, with awesome, you know, fans and everything. Like they had a huge cult following and they reinvested in themselves. Like instead of, you know, just living that super rock star life, they would put their money back into their stage production and kind of build their own brand. They have the craziest stages when they're performing. Yeah. I'm not even like a particularly big fan of them, but I have like eternal respect for what they were able to accomplish. And, you know, when their when their drummer died, they really, it was like right when they were about to like make that step from like, okay, they're a really cool, hot up and coming band to like the, you know, rock metal band that was going to like kind of take over the world. And it's a shame because yeah. like their, their style dramatically changed because I think the Rev was like the main songwriter. Rev was uh, one of the main songwriters, definitely, and just h- h- him bringing his sound to the rest of them was what made them stand out so much. I also like their newer stuff, but it's never been the same after the Rev died. And the Rev was the reason I started drumming. Uh, I was wildly in love with him. He was just like I was obsessive about Evan Sinfold and especially the Rev. And actually, in 2016. I, along with two of my best friends, we traveled to Los Angeles and to Huntington Beach. First time I was ever in America. We traveled there specifically so that I could uh, pay my respects. Yeah. And um, it was just a giant, like almost weight off my shoulders because Jimmy, as he's, his name is, uh, passed away in December of 20, 2009. And then yeah. my mom passed away in September of 2010. So it was like write one thing after another and he was just giant influence on me because of him i started working at the drum store got my first job really made a lot of friends because of him and just like i i felt i had to go and pay my respects to him and i that time we spent in huntington beach was just crazy like we got lured to an abandoned warehouse to see like a book signing in this warehouse military kind of thing it was crazy um <laughs> that's a story for another day but it was just like i had seen their dvd where they are walking around huntington beach i'd seen that for years before we went and then i could kind of navigate huntington beach based on that that was intense <laughs> do you do you still play the drums so yeah I wish I did. Uh, as you can probably see, I live in an apartment, so yeah. my neighbors would not take kindly to it. But uh, <laughs> if if there's a drum set in my vicinity, I will play the shit out of those drums. Let's uh, for the next realms deep. Let's do a, like a big jam session. I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I'm a pretty good bass player. Like, so we could we could get a little band together and uh, rock it out. But uh, before, oh, wonderful! Before we go, because uh, we're like an hour hour fifteen or something like that now. I want to point out a few things that I think really maybe I hope you see this in yourself, but when 3D Realms, you know, does something like Realms Deep and they're projected like literally the camera, you know, of you guys, there's the whole team and then there's two people up front facing the camera like that are these are the focal point and Fred obviously is there and you're right next to him. And that means a lot. At least from my perspective, as an outsider, when I see that, I'm like, Alex is integral to this. It was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) At the beginning, it wasn't even. uh, At the beginning, it wasn't even meant to be the way. That way, Um, Mm -hmm. we started brainstorming 3D realms. No, (laughs) we started 
brainstorming realms deep. I hate that the same word is in both of them because I constantly fuck it up. We start brainstorming realms deep uh, because we couldn't go to any cons. And we were like, what if we just made our own con? And we kind of said like in a ha-ha jokey way. And then suddenly Fred's like, yeah, let's do it. And when Fred says, yeah, let's do it, you know it's going to happen even if it's fucking crazy. Yeah. And we were talking about it and we were kind of starting to like get people together and making a schedule. And I, the topic came of who's going to host this. And I proposed, I think Fred should do it because he's kind of our face mm-hmm. outwards. And he looks, he looks at me and he says, Oh, Alex, I const- I thought this whole way that it was going to be you. It's like, uh, I, I've decided already it's going to be you. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like real worried because like, I, nobody knew who I was at the time. Mm-hmm. Probably people don't really know even now, but still like they know more than they did back then. I'm like, I'm a girl. Nobody knows who I am. Who the fuck's going to listen to me? And he's like, nah, nah, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We ended up both sitting there and that took a huge amount of pressure off of me that I could also like play ball with Fred and like bounce my things off of him and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was really cool to, for me anyway, to just see how you guys put it together and to, cause I, you were the first like marketing manager I'd ever interacted with of any kind. Like I'd never seen that side of the business and. Oh, muzzle seeing- seeing how much you were dealing with was like, wow. Like I have no idea how much sleep you get, but it can't be enough. (laughs) (laughs) Tell that to my dad. He's constantly saying, why are you up at 3am? You need to sleep more. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was, you you even said just now, like a lot of people probably like don't know who I am or still don't know who I am even from that. Like, but I just want to say that part of my mission here at you know on this podcast is i want to tell the stories like your story that that's like the most beautiful part of it to me is that i could talk to fred forever and i love fred and i'll have fred back on anytime he wants but i i really love people like you people like mk schmidt like these these people that are like total outsiders that have found their way into our community and i think the most interesting stories are told from that perspective Thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that because it's uh, it's it's easy when you're standing next to these giants like Fred and like, you know, literal giants. Scott Miller and yeah, everybody. And it's just like easy to be like, oh, but who am I compared to these guys? So I appreciate you saying that. All right. I think this is a good place to wrap it up. Do you have anything that you would like to plug or, you know, just like it? Do you want to send me your your art commissioning stuff so I can also put that in the episode notes so people can find you? Oh sure, um, please do. Go by go go wishlist Graven on Steam, um, <laughs> and if if you're interested in knowing more about the visual novel I'm working on, other than my weird summary of it, because when you say things out loud, it's always a little like janky. If you want to know more about it, then go check out uh, our Twitter profile. It's at and then. Uh, RN project, so that's A U R A N and then project just in one. I'll send it to you as well, Ty. Yeah, I think that's it. Wishless Graven on Steam. <laughs> Give us money. <laughs> Thank you again to Alex. 
for being on the show. It's a great learning experience. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you to 3D Realms. Their new game, Graven, Wishlist That Bitch. Immerse yourself. The soundtrack that you're hearing right now is actually from Graven. And I'm telling you right now, as awesome as this music is, even with my voice over it and in a compressed file, still cannot possibly do justice to the amazingness of this game. So show them some love. If you want to hear more about Graven, I also recommend you uh, go check out my other podcast with Scarecrow. And also I recommend heading over to the Quake cast, and they have an episode with Chris Holden as well. I hope to have Chris on the show at some point. We'll see if we can get that knocked out uh, sometime early in the new year. But, hey, if you love this show as much as it loves you being a listener of it, there's ways to support it. I'm going to go ahead and say thank you to all of our wonderful Patreon supporters. Paul, Moose, Dots, Zach, Alexander, Brad, Red Eyes, Green Dragon, Anthony, Robert, Jack, Brandy, Fred, and Lord Revan. You are all amazing. Thank you so much for uh, being a supporter of the show. Reminder that all Patreon supporters or really supporters of any kind, if I can identify who you are. Get content early. Try to have all the podcasts up at least a week in advance, if possible. And once you've accumulated, like, I don't care what tier you are or anything like that. That's a bunch of dumb shit. But, like, if you've given more than, like, $25 over time, I always try to make sure to give everybody a t-shirt. If I owe you one and you haven't gotten it yet, make sure you get back to me. All the rest of you guys, head over to inthecute.com forward slash support. If you're interested in supporting, there's lots of ways to do it. And, uh, hey, if you're interested in sports betting or esports betting, get head over to uh, zensports.com. That's zensports.com, Z-E-N-S-P-O-R-T-S.com. Check them out. They have a really cool app there if you're into that kind of thing. You can use promo code ITKPOD to get $500 in free play bonus when you make your first deposit. So good luck out there. I love you. The Drowned God Cathala loves you. Till next time. Stay in the keep.